Good morning, everybody. So this is more than likely my last Sunday to preach at FBC. Angela and I will continue to serve in leading worship this summer, but this is my last opportunity in the schedule to be preaching. So I'm excited to share with you this morning, but after 15 years on staff here, Angela and I have felt called to pursue something else. And a lot of you know that. We've announced it and put it out there, but we still have no idea what's next. Uh, we're still actively seeking and praying about it, but this is probably going to be the last time I preach, so let's just dive into it. Uh, as I was preparing this week, I couldn't help but think of a couple pictures that I'd like to put up here, first of which is this one. So this is out in front of the old sanctuary, the youth room. So on the left, I'll introduce you to my family. It's my oldest sister, Andrea, my brother, Ryan, then I'm the one looking disheveled and concerned for some reason in the middle. And then my dad, Richard, and my mom, Pam, and my sister, Rochelle. My parents uh, planted this church in 1984. And today is a reminder to me of the immense blessing that I have, that I've been able to serve here in this capacity. See, I was raised in this church. I was literally raised in this church. Born in October of 1984, just 10 months after this church was planted. I lived in what we now call the annex or the, the parsonage that's over there for the first 17 years of my life. And I've really never known another church. Even when I went off to college to Spring Arbor, I would drive home a lot and have church here. I've never known another extended family like this family here. So let me show you the other picture real quick before we jump into here. This is a little bit later, but this is the family. This is one of the directory photos as well. We were rocking the, the 90s look there. So... It's coming back. I think that gold chain will be on somebody next, next week there, Pam. So that's pretty sweet. But I do, I do want to say thank you to all of you who were a part of my upbringing here and who encouraged myself and my family throughout the years. And we have gotten a lot of encouragement from so many of you. I also want to thank my wife and kids who have put up with me for the last 13 years in ministry. I've been here full-time 15, but uh, have been married for 13. And um, it's a lot of time and effort. And I just want to thank them. I want to thank my siblings, Andrea, Rochelle, and Ryan, who have encouraged me and been there for me. For those of you that don't know, a lot of the time when you're what's called a PK, a pastor's kid, most of the kids want nothing to do with ministry after the fact. They want a break from the church, all that kind of stuff. Every one of my siblings has served in some capacity in ministry. Uh, my sister, Andrea, helped plant a church. My brother was in ministry for 12 years. My sister has served on many different capacities as well. And it's a testament to the next people that I want to thank, who are my parents, Richard and Pam Gurton, who, oh boy. Um, I did good in first service because you weren't here. <clears throat> Without your sacrifice and your efforts, there are quite a few people here who would not have known the love of God, myself included. <clears throat> I know that many in this room, if not all of you, and I can guarantee all of you, have been directly impacted by their pursuit of God's kingdom in Marshall, Michigan, and the surrounding communities. Because without their efforts, without their hearts, without their sacrifice, this building would not exist. You would not be sitting here. And I'm forever grateful to them. Shouldn't have looked at them. So as I prepared for this sermon, I had the thought, this thought in mind of how blessed I am to have been raised here and served here. And I started to look at Mark 10. 
And I was struck by two stories that are back to back. So if you'd like to turn to Mark 10, the first story is that of children. And it reminded me of my childhood here at FBC. You see, I, I truly loved growing up here and calling this place home. I remember crawling under the pews in the old sanctuary. It was one of my favorite things to do as a kid. I don't know why. I would roll under there. I'd crawl under there like military crawl, be covered in filthy dust. But I loved it. And I was told not to, but they still let me do it. I remember building tree forts in the backyard. I remember vividly, this one will haunt me forever, sledding down the roof of this right here from the peak down over the nursery into a snowdrift. And I think I was about 15 when I chose to do that, so I knew better. But two of my buddies were over and we were bored and we were like, hey, there's a lot of snow on the ground, let's go sledding. Yeah, it was, I got in big trouble for that one. Uh, what I vividly remember about that, though, is I landed in the snow. I stood up and turned to my buddies, and I was like, ah! And then I turned around, and my dad was standing in the nursery window going. <laughs> and that's the dad look of, you're in trouble. Knock it off. And I vividly, I was telling this story to my in-laws last night. And I was telling him how he was like, you could have hurt the roof, you could have hurt the eaves troughs and all that stuff. And they were like, so that he didn't say you could have hurt yourself. And I was like, no. <laughs> he was not concerned with me. He was concerned with that roof. But see, there are many other stories like that that I was able to do and have fun with. Because I was given a level of freedom here that showed me the love of Jesus in a tangible way. And not everybody who's raised in ministry can say that. I was given an example, and I will forever be grateful for that. So we're going to start in verse 13 in Mark 10. It says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples, they rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. So a couple things in this passage that I'd like to point out. The first of which is where it says the disciples rebuked the people who were bringing these children to Jesus. Now, when we read that, we might think, why are the disciples being jerks? These are just little kids. Why are they like, nope, get the kids away from Jesus. We don't want them around. They sneeze. They've, they've got snot on them. We don't want Jesus sick. Like, is that what's going on there? Well, the word used for rebu rebuke here is epitomeo, which can mean rebuke, but its fundamental sense is warning to prevent something from going wrong. So the disciples here are feeling like something could go wrong at any moment because these people are bringing these children to Jesus. There's more and more people coming and they're starting to want to come to Jesus' defense. And so they're saying, that's enough, that's enough. There's too many people. We don't want these kids around Jesus. We don't want them to get hurt and then Jesus to get blamed, all that kind of stuff. They were trying to protect him. And a lot of you have probably watched the, the Chosen series where it follows the life of Jesus. And there's a character in that series who is uh, kind of built to be the protector. His name is Peter. And I remember watching scenes in that show where Peter is like up on a roof, scanning the horizon, making sure nothing's going wrong. He's, he's the protector. He's, he's looking out for Jesus. And that's what I picture when it says they rebuked these people. 
is that the disciples were looking around and they started to get a sense of this could go wrong, so they wanted to protect him. So Jesus' response here makes a whole lot of sense when it says he became indignant. I'm sure there was a part of him that was like, really? You think I need protecting? Do you realize I'm Jesus, right? Like, I've already told you I'm, I'm the Savior, I'm Jesus, I got this. I can protect myself from these kids, all right? Let these kids come over to me. But something that I love about Jesus is in these moments, he turns everyday situations into teachable moments. It's like that show Bluey. You guys ever seen Bluey? I feel like the worst parent in the world when I watch that show. I love the show and I want to be that dog so bad. But they turn anything into a teachable moment and it's amazing. But this is what it reminds me of because Jesus turns to his disciples that think this could potentially be a disaster that they need to protect Jesus. And he turns to him and he says, hey, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. And then he says this, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So he flips the script on the disciples, and essentially he says, the very kids that you're trying to hinder from my presence are the type of people that I desire to have in my presence. You're not getting it. I want them to be here. And for me, I feel very connected to this very passage as I reflect on my time here at FBC, because I wasn't hindered. I was given freedom to explore the presence of God and realize who he was and is in my life, <clears throat> in my life. There was a time, and my mom has told this story before from the pulpit, where, um, well, let me back up. Let's just say I was an active child. Uh, I enjoyed life a little too much, maybe. Um, to put it this way, when the movie Dennis the Menace came out, my sisters were mad that I didn't try out for the part of Dennis the Menace because I was him. And so I would get into a lot of different situations. There was one time my dad came out, and I was taking apart his lawnmower, or I was attempting to, and he's like, what you doing? I was like, I'm going to take this motor. I'm going to put it on my bike and turn it into a motorcycle. I had no idea what I was doing. But that's the type of kid I was. So it was no different in Sunday school class when Dennis would be teaching me or something and I would be talking or making jokes or whatever it was, trying to win the Bible sword drill that got me the star on the wall so that I would get the candy at the end of the month or whatever it was. I'm sure I was doing something wrong. And the teacher at that point, not Dennis, he knew better, said to me, you're the pastor's son. You shouldn't act like that. So somehow my mom got word of that. and She went down to that teacher and she was like, we're not going to do that again. She said, he is no different than any other person in this classroom. Don't point out the fact that he's the pastor's son. He is one of the kids here. He is not the pastor's son. He is a kid who is attending here. And I will forever be grateful to my mom for that. I will forever be grateful because it made me feel like I was not a person with a target on my back, that I could just be one of the kids. And I could know Jesus the same way everybody else did. So I'm grateful to my parents. I'm grateful to my Sunday school teachers, my youth pastors, especially my youth pastors, because I was over here way too much. I lived across the driveway. So this was like an extended living room to me. And the youth pastors took the brunt of that because I was in their office asking them questions, wanting to play drums, learning how to play guitar, all that kind of stuff. They were very patient. And I want to think I'm grateful for everybody else who guided me along and extended a blessing to me so that I could fall more and more in love with our creator. You see, in me early on was planted a desire to know God more. 
And as a child, I had an unabashed willingness to pursue him. I was that kid that if you asked me to do anything, hey, John, why don't you go up on stage and sing in front of 300 people? Sure, sweet, let's do it. Uh, my mom tells a story about how we used to have Sunday evening services, and my dad asked, will someone read this passage? And I was like five or six at the time, and I was like, I'll read it. And I read it in front of the church. Like, that's the, the willingness of a child. You don't think about anything else. You're like, I'm doing this for Jesus. Let's just do it. So I'll do it. So I had that kind of willingness. And I want you to write those two words down this morning. Desire and willingness. Desire and willingness. In the passage we just read, we see a desire of the people who wanted the children to be in the presence of Jesus. They had a desire for their children to receive a blessing, to be just touched by Jesus. But it took a willingness of the children to approach Jesus. I doubt that the people were just dumping them into Jesus' lap. They probably said, go see him, go see him. See, there was a desire there, but the children had to make the choice to follow through, to be willing to enter into his presence, to know him. I envision these kids without shame, without agenda, running into the arms of Jesus and crawling up in his lap. As it says in verse 16, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. See, they had to be willing to be in his arms in order for him to make a difference in their lives and to bless them. So these two words, desire and willingness, they go hand in hand in our walk with the Lord. We must desire him. We're taught that in Sunday school, in Sunday morning services, in discipleship. We need to desire God, but we also must be willing to do what it takes to know him. See, it's one thing to have the desire. I desired to be with Angela. I desired to marry her. If I had said, I desire you, goodbye, and never done anything with that, nothing would have happened. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. It's one thing to come here on a Sunday morning and sing songs like that and say, I desire you and sing these out. But when do we follow through with the willingness to pursue him? See, right after this passage, we meet another person in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now when he says this, I'm curious if he was looking around at all these little children that had just been running at Jesus' feet. And he's reminded of, yeah, I've, I've done this since I was like one of them, since I was a little boy. Jesus looked at him and it says he loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, when I read this passage, I envision in my mind that Jesus was just uh, finishing up blessing these children. He was immersed in their presence. And then this rich guy, how many of you have seen the movie Aladdin, the cartoon, the original? It's the rich guy on the horse that drives by and he sees Aladdin and he calls him a street rat. That's what I picture with the rich guy. The rich guy. He's up on this horse and he sees these children and he's like, hold on a second. They're getting a blessing. I went on. I want in on that. So he jumps off the horse and he goes to Jesus. He bows at his feet and he's like, hey, you just blessed all these kids. I want some. Will you bless me? I'd like to receive that. I picture him interrupting Jesus as he was on his knees playing with these kids. But Jesus, he patiently listens to him. And then it says that we're told he even looked at him and he loved him. The word love here is agapeo, which we know as I love, wish well to, take pleasure in. But with the believer, agapeo means actively doing, actively doing what the Lord prefers. So when Jesus looks at this man, it's with an expectant love. See, he knows the desire of the man's heart is to be blessed, to know Jesus. But Jesus is seeking to see if he has the willingness to surrender. So he says, what are you willing to give up in order to follow me? I see the desire, but do you have the willingness? And isn't that the case as we grow up? See, the children in this story, they had nothing to give to Jesus. They just wanted to be in his presence. They were probably willing to give up whatever they had just to be with Jesus. There's no reservations with children. But as we grow up, we start to acquire possessions, jobs, money, notoriety, comfort, you name it. And it starts to fill a void that we never had before. As kids, we have no concept of that kind of stuff. We just get to live life. So when this man is asked to leave behind all of this stuff and have faith like a child that's at his feet and run to Jesus, he went away sad because he was unwilling. He was probably thinking, you have no idea what I've sacrificed to, to get all this stuff. I can't just leave it behind. And Jesus is probably thinking, that's exactly why I'm asking you. You've sacrificed that stuff for yourself. I'm asking you to sacrifice for me. But did you notice that Jesus brings the focus back to the children? As he's referring to the crowd after the man leaves, he paints a picture for them. He wants the children to understand because in one of the verses it starts and it says, children. It's almost like he's trying to get attention to the boys and girls that have been around. He's saying, children, come back. I want you to hear something. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. See, I believe Jesus was addressing the very children that were just in his arms that he was blessing because he knew one day you're going to grow up and you're going to face the same dilemma of this rich man that you're witnessing right now who is walking away dejected and sad. So he starts to paint a picture for them and he tells them about a camel. And he says, you know, that has to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are like, as adults, they're like, that's impossible. 
How, how then can we be saved? How is that able to happen? I distinctly remember when I was uh, on a group called Wellspring and we toured in the summers uh, for Spring Arbor. We did music at camps. And last minute I was asked to, to preach and they gave me this passage and I, I preached on it. I was like, it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And a man came up to me afterwards and he was like, hey, did, I've been to Israel. Did you know that there's something called the eye of the needle in the gate in Jerusalem? And he started to explain something to me. And many scholars, many other people think that what Jesus was doing here was not telling everybody there that this is impossible. He was rather referring to this place in the wall of Jerusalem that a camel could fit through called the eye of the needle. So you've probably seen this. I know I've talked about this before, but you see the camel on the left and the child on the right going through this small pocket in the wall. See how large those stones are? That's very small. So what's really cool about this is these were built so that camels could fit through. But what the camel had to do was get on its knees to be able to fit through the eye of the needle. So it's not impossible, it's just difficult. And it takes a willingness to surrender and a willingness to move forward through that hole in the wall for it to actually happen. So keep that picture in mind because what I love about this imagery is, again, in order for that camel to fit through, it had to be on its knees. So it had to have a desire to go through the wall to get where it wanted to be, but it had to be willing enough to surrender itself, to be on its knees. Did you catch at the beginning of the story, the rich young ruler did that? It says that he fell on his knees before Jesus. So he had a desire to know God. and In fact, he was bowing before Jesus, essentially saying, I'm giving myself to you until Jesus said, are you willing to give everything to move forward? He didn't have the willingness. So I think Jesus is using this as a teachable moment for the children and the others there. He's calling the children together after the rich man leaves and he's saying to them, I know you have the desire and the willingness right now as children, but one day you're going to need to work towards this same desire because your willingness may change. Once the world starts to impact your surroundings, you might be a little less willing. And I want to paint a picture for you that it is possible, but you need to be surrendered in order to know me. So the question this morning is, are you willing to surrender in order to receive what you desire? Are you willing to surrender in order to receive what you desire? Ultimately, we need to ask ourselves that very question. If the desire of our hearts is to know the Lord, to enter his kingdom, to one day be in heaven, to make an impact in this world for the kingdom of God, if that's the desire of our heart, are we willing to put in the work of surrender, desire and willingness? Are we willing to put in the work of surrender? And sometimes that surrender is really hard to let go of those things. Like for Angela and I, the choice we are making is hard, and I am stressed out about it all the time. Now, let me be clear. The choice that we, were, uh, that we made to leave FBC and to be called somewhere else was easy because God gave us that directive. He called us out, and so we said yes, and we have peace about that. But we have no clue what's next. So there's a lot of unrest in my mind and heart about that. Because the reality is, 
I kind of would rather be the rich man in this situation where I've got all the possessions and the money in the world and I can just kind of be like, yeah, we're going to leave, but we're set. You know, it's not really a sacrifice. It's just I'm taking a step sideways because I want to provide for my family. I want to have enough money and possessions for them to live comfortably. I want to be home with them more and let them know how much I love them by being present. And before I move on, I do need to say this, and it's going to be hard for me to get through, but your pastors that started this church worked insane hours and did so much to keep this place afloat. And I remember my dad had an office in the bottom of the parsonage. He would be in there for hours. He would be over here for hours. We used to clean the church as a family when people wouldn't show up to clean. Um, all that different kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Every soccer game, every basketball game, everything I was a part of, my dad was there. He was present, even though he worked crazy hours. He even coached some of our teams. He made it a priority to be present with his kids. And that is one of the reasons that I'm, I'm deciding this, is I need to make my kids a priority, and I need to be with them. There are many, many memories I've missed and many things that I don't remember about my kids and I want to be with them. And I'm so appreciative that my parents were able to do both. I don't know how you guys did it. I have no clue. They're amazing people. But ultimately, I want my kids and my family to know the love of God in a clear and tangible way. So when God told Angela and I that it's time to surrender and go another direction, it was not and it is not easy. See, this has been years of prayer for us to get to this point. And I still feel like a big old camel trying to fit through a, a narrow hole in a wall where I'm just constantly surrendering to God. For some of you, it might come as a surprise. It might be one of those like, well, you just told us like a month ago. Well, this has not been a quick decision for us. And it's hard to comprehend everything that goes into the decision for me being raised here, having my dad have planted the church, I have a lot of tie-ins. Chris used to be my youth pastor. He was good friends with my brother. We kind of grew up together. Nick was in my youth group, and I was his youth pastor. He kind of grew up with me here. Like, there's so many weird tie-ins here that once you start to see that, you're like, oh, I get that. That's a little weird. It's hard. So this has been a long time of us trying to process this and figure this out, because it's not easy. And I don't know what's on the other side, but I desire to be closer to the presence of God. And so I'm submitting to him and I'm trying my very best to be willing to do what it takes. We're taking a big risk. But I don't want to be like the rich young ruler who's unwilling to let go, who's too comfortable. I want to be a child of God who's willing to run to the Father. And just be in his arms. I felt God say something to me earlier this week in a conversation. And I'm sure it's from a book or a song or a meme. I don't know. But he said to me, at a certain point, you have to get out of the boat and into the water. See, it's risky to let go. And it's one thing for me to say, I have a desire to do this. And that's why I've been fighting it for years. But at a certain point, I had to be willing to get out of the boat and into the water. Just like Peter. If you don't know the story, the disciples are in a boat and they see a figure coming across the water and they realize it's Jesus and he's walking on water. It's a miracle happening before their very eyes. 
And he asked Peter to come out. And Peter has a desire to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus. Now, it would have been one thing for Peter to stay in the boat and been like, hey, Jesus, I'd love to be out there with you. I'm going to stay here. I would love to be in your presence, but this is a little bit more comfortable. So I'll just be at a distance and we'll say that we're close and we'll give each other air high fives. But we're never going to be in each other's real presence, okay? But what Peter did was he took a step of faith, a risk, and he stepped out onto the water to be with Jesus. See, a lot of us, I think, might be at a precipice in our lives where we know God is moving us to a point, we know God is calling us, and we have the desire, but we're not willing to take that step. That step of faith, that risk. It's one thing to have a desire, it's another thing to be willing. See, we're not called to be comfortable. We're not called to accumulate possessions, wealth, notoriety, comfort, whatever it is. We're called to be like the little children, to desire the Father and be willing to be in his presence, even when it's hard and there's a great need to surrender. So again, the question is, are you willing to surrender in order to receive what you desire? Maybe you're not dealing with the unwillingness to let go of possessions. Maybe you're unwilling to let go of an addiction or a secret sin, or an idol of sorts. Maybe it's your phone. Or maybe you just plain old don't want to put in the work. You have a desire to know Jesus. You have a desire to one day be in eternity with him, but you're not willing to do what he asks you to do. So you just claim a label, but you never live it out. I want to implore you that God has a plan for each and every one of you. See, I didn't know when I was running around these halls being crazy as a kid that I would one day be back on this stage. In fact, it's laughable that they gave me a job. I had no idea that I would be leading worship and preaching and doing this. See, God had a plan. He still has a plan for me and my family. And he has a plan for you. He has a desire for you. So much so that he was willing to give everything up by sending his son Jesus. So don't squander that gift. See, we're called to have a desire, to be willing to live our lives for him. But God has a desire for you and he was willing to give it all up. I, I want you to understand that. He desires you. He desires the best for you. When you say yes to Jesus, it's not easy. And there's going to be a lot of times when you're going to be on your knees praying to God. What do you want me to do? I want to follow you. I don't know what's next. I need you to be in control. But the verse John 10.10 10 is, is my life verse. It's become that. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life, and not just life, but a full life. The praise team is going to come up here as we close here, but I want you to hear that verse again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, if we're desiring God and we're willing to surrender, God will give us a life that we never knew we could have. 
If you want to know the fullness that life can offer, say yes to Jesus. Pursue him like a child and let go of the things that hinder. Later in the passage we read, it says, The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I kind of envision an old clip of Billy Graham or something when Jesus says that. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, right? But there's such power in that, right? We think it's impossible, and it is because we want to do it in our own strength, but not with God. I love that he puts that in there, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So please don't walk out of here this morning with a burning desire in your heart to know God, but an unwillingness because you think you can't do it. Get on your knees before him. Because in surrender to him, all things are possible. There are so many kids in this building week after week. And VBS was a couple weeks ago. We had 100 and almost 50 kids here every day. One of them could be someone who is directly influenced by you. And there's such potential that someday they could be used to lead others to Jesus. It could be that kid that you are so annoyed with, like Dennis was with me as a kid. It could be that blonde-headed little kid that will not calm down, like me. It could be the quiet, meek little kid who doesn't say much, but is listening, is watching. And one day, that kid could be leading others to Jesus, maybe on a stage in a church, but maybe also in a factory, in a break room. So let's lead by example. Let's show these kids the, the desire to follow Jesus, but then follow it up with the willingness to surrender to his ways. Because I know from experience, they're watching. They're looking at their Sunday school teachers, their youth pastors, their parents, their pastors, and they're wanting to see something real. I got to see that. So let's be a church that runs into the Father's arms. Let's have a desire for him, but be willing to do what it takes to know him.